My name is Dr. Tram Jones. Starting in December 2019, my wife and I lived in Haiti. Recently, given the current insecurity, we are out of the country, but we continue to support and work with our partner clinic, Lesquati Moon, with its 53 employees on the ground in the city of Quadibouquet, Haiti. Most of us know the basic outline of the story, or at least the story as it's been told. Thomas Jefferson, that bastion of democracy, sent a letter to the French in 1803. Jefferson wanted to buy the Louisiana Territory. As most of us know, the Louisiana Territory was not just the present-day state, but rather a vast landmass that would nearly double the size of our young country. It would give the U.S. complete access over the Mississippi River, opening up the American West. Our third president, being the wily multilingual genius, somehow convinces the French to cede the entire territory for pennies on the dollar. In fact, for four cents an acre. Cue Lewis and Clark, the California Gold Rush, and the popular Oregon Trail computer game. But is that really all there is to the story? By the way I asked the question, clearly there's more to it. There are several clues that the story is deeper than our grade school teaching. First, Jefferson isn't simply negotiating with a nameless French ambassador. His counterpart is Napoleon. Yes, that Napoleon. Napoleon had not gained power and fame through weak negotiation. There has to be some reason that he wants to jettison Louisiana. Secondly, Jefferson had approached Napoleon with plans only to buy New Orleans, that vital city at the outlet of the Mississippi. The rest of the land hadn't been mentioned. And yet, Napoleon seemingly inexplicably decided that he wanted to unload the entire massive territory, stretching from Louisiana to Iowa to Montana and Colorado. Why? The world was obviously different in 1800. The modern world is less focused on agriculture and consumable goods. But in the past, world wealth revolved around sugar, spices, coffee, and slaves. This alone is hard to imagine given that I hardly give a thought when I buy a five-pound bag of Domino sugar at the grocery store. In search of these riches, Europe had developed colonies throughout the New World, but their most valuable were the Caribbean islands. The warm, tropical climate was perfect for these cash crops. Now let me put this into perspective of how much they valued these. Just a few decades before, in a treaty with Britain, France had decided to trade all of Canada for the island of Guadeloupe. As I said, the world is very different today. Most of us couldn't identify Guadeloupe on a map. But Guadeloupe had sugar, and Canada had, well, it had snow. In this world, France's prized possession was Haiti, and Haiti was a wealth bonanza. It was the world leader in sugar production, supplying 40% of the consumption in Europe. And while cane sugar was grown in the valleys, the rest of the country was able to focus on coffee growing. The combination of the tropical climate and high altitudes made it uniquely suited to this crop, exporting 60% of the coffee consumed in Europe. In between these two behemoth moneymakers, other plantations profited from indigo, cacao, and cotton. In fact, this little island nation the size of Maryland provided more than half the income from all of France's colonies. Its yearly revenues were more than the entire Spanish empire. One in eight citizens in metropolitan France derived their income from this little place. But as many of us know, This boon was driven by a slave system so harsh, it's difficult to find a comparison in world history. Slave labor and sugar production was particularly tortuous, perhaps more so than any other crop. 
The fields were bad enough, but the refining process was dangerous and exhausting. The average slave lived two years after landing in Haiti. In 1791, the Haitians threw off their chains and began a war for independence. They burned the sugar plantations and their hated refinement buildings. The prolonged conflict grinded on for more than a decade, lasting well into Napoleon's reign. By the time he took power, France had not brought in money from the colony for eight long years, and this had to stop. Napoleon needed the money to rebuild France and fund his militaries. So Napoleon hatched a plan. He needed to restore the Haitian colony. He would first buy the Louisiana Territory from Spain. With this land, he could supply food, wood, and other necessities to rebuild the plantations of Haiti. Yes, you heard that right. The entire territory was only purchased to prop up Haiti. But there was a problem. Haiti was still in rebellion and they showed no desire to return to the plantation economy he envisioned for them. Napoleon needed a bold stroke. He sent his brother-in-law, General Leclerc, to Haiti with 30,000 troops. Surely, this massive force would put down the rebellion. Two years later, however, 23,000 soldiers lay dead from yellow fever and guerrilla warfare. By this time, Leclerc's dead body was on a ship back to France, its owner having died, leaving Napoleon's sister a widow. A final devastating loss to black troops in the north of Haiti led French troops to leave the island forever. Now Napoleon was up a creek. He had lost Haiti and its wealth. All he had was the relatively useless Louisiana territory. It was now a supply depot with nothing to supply. Napoleon saw war coming with Great Britain. He knew it would take forces to defend Louisiana, and for what purpose? When Jefferson came calling, he saw a way out. So who do the citizens of Shreveport, Tulsa, Springfield, Denver, and Kansas City have to thank? Jefferson and Napoleon were not the decision makers here. They were simply reacting in a logical way to the events thrown before them. The real mover of history was Toussaint Louverture and the Haitian rebels. They changed the momentum and flow of history, preventing the great powers from imposing their will. And think how the U.S. would be different. Really think about that. If France keeps Louisiana it likely eventually becomes independent, probably its own country. California is likely subsumed by Mexico. The United States remains the relatively small area east of the Mississippi. This territory would separate the U.S. from Texas, which would also likely stay with Mexico. How does the Civil War change without the Western states? With such a large French-speaking landmass in the New World, does French remain the international language? Do we see French or Spanish-speaking Hollywood? Today, Haiti is something of an afterthought. Most people remember the earthquake and the images of poverty. But there was a time when world events not only revolved around this small, mysterious island, but were determined by the will of its people. The world has changed in the intervening 200 years. World economies are built around technology, oil, and manufacturing. And these don't require a tropical climate. We're unlikely to see a return to an economy where sugar industry determines the fate of nations. But those of us that love Haiti hope that one day it can take its place back in the center of world events and not as a passive participant in the setting of natural disasters and tragedy. Rather, we hope for a robust and productive economy, built this time not on slavery, but on the ingenuity of its people. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. 
We are simply telling stories as we've seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.